This is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW. Hey, everybody. Welcome once again. Disability Law Show. It is so good to have you on the show today. We are busy. We've got so much stuff to cover between uh, emails and that, by the way, is help at disabilityrights.ca and a ton of input. Questions coming through mydisabilityquestions.com. Of course, Martin Willems is here covering the uh, the west end of things as far as BC is concerned and Savannah Tamarkin also in attendance. The co-founding partner, Sam Firu Tamarkin, LLP, the most positively reviewed law firm in in the country guys going to be a very busy busy show today uh savannah something else you guys you guys are always innovating you're always coming up with easy ways for people to glean information when it comes to disability law why because it's confusing as heck that is why so you clear the air quite often what else have you guys crafted and put together it's something new right yeah, absolutely, John. It's very, you're absolutely right. I mean, there are new things coming up all the time, tons of questions from listeners, viewers of the show. Uh, and, and so, you know, people here know, our listeners know that we have a website called ltdfaq.ca. And it's a website we created a while back uh, to answer the most common questions that people have about long-term disability. The type of questions that we get all the time from listeners and from people who come to us for help. Mm-hmm. They deal with, uh, you know, should you appeal a long-term disability denial if you're denied your claim? What happens if you're having issues with your employer um, and and your long-term disability insurer? What happens if your insurance company tries to force you back to work before you're ready? Independent medical examinations, surveillance, I can go on and on, John. And so we're adding to these uh, uh, topics on that website, ltdfaq.ca, because these are essentially, it's a resource. It's a resource Mm -hmm. containing these memorandums for individuals out there. So I want to mention that we have something new on it to check out. Now, here's the thing. If you've ever seen a long-term disability policy, you'll know that there are many terms there, many legal type terms, and some of them are defined, some of them are not defined, and people have questions. And so what we did is we went through and created a memo of the most common terms Uh, that you can find in these policies. And again, if your policy contains a definition of a certain term you're looking at, by all means, go to that definition because that definition in that policy trumps everything. However, many of these types of, again, phrases or or words or, or labels just don't contain definitions. People don't know what they are. And so if you go on our website and you go to the the memo that specifically deals with long-term disability terms, you will see uh, all these terms there. You know, what does actively at work requirement mean? What does all source maximum mean? Any occupation, you know, uh, things like change of definition, cost of living adjustment, all these kinds of things, these definitions. It's really important, John, because people need to understand. Oftentimes, people will just call up their adjuster and ask questions, and many of these adjusters will actually not know what the answers are or will give you the wrong information. And that's not because necessarily they're trying to mislead you, but they're not lawyers themselves. They're adjusters, they're case managers, but they have, to some degree, limited information, limited education, limited experience. And so anyways, you can go to our website and get this information right there and then. And again, if you have any question about your specific policy, you're dealing with a long-term disability claim, you're having issues with your adjuster, you've been denied your claim, any of the above, you should be cont- contacting us. Uh, you know, we'll, we'll talk to you for free. It doesn't cost a cent to talk to us and get the advice you need. 
The best part is of this this thing that you guys have created now, it's in alphabetical order. So, for instance, you know, the three of us uh, later in the show, you can use it in real time. So we're talking about CPPD. Everyone's like, what the hell is CPPD? Well, we use the acronym because <laughs> yeah. we've been talking about it for years. But people are like, CPPD. Okay, let me scroll right. down here. Oh, there it is. Canada Pension Plan Disability. Gives you a breakdown. It's phenomenal. This thing is so easy to use. And, again, you can reach out. There's also a button there if you want to talk to an agent, which is uh, which is even more more awesome. So you can use that anytime uh, you would like. But the phone number, by the way, to reach out to Martin and Savannah, the rest of the team, simple as well, one 821 5900 So let's keep rolling, guys. Who's got the uh, who's got the next uh, next case I want to talk about? Well, well, John, let me let me tell you uh, one more thing that's interesting here, and then I'm sure Martin's going to have something to say about this too. This is uh, the topic of pre-existing conditions. Many individuals who apply for long-term disability or have, have, have been on long-term disability find that the insurance company then either cuts them off or denies their claim on the basis of a pre-ex, pre-existing condition. Now, yesterday, uh, one of the lawyers in my group actually emailed me about a case that he's handling. And so I want to talk about that case a little bit without giving too much information because it's an ongoing case, but also provide some context here just to give you an example. So here's what he wrote to me. He says, in, my, in the past, my client suffered from an upper respiratory tract infection and also had an anxiety disorder. In March of 2020, uh, she went off work due to COVID and made a claim for long-term disability benefits. She tried to go back to work, but she never returned full-time and then went off again on depression and anxiety. She was working there for for just under a year. Now, in the initial LTD application that was filled out back in March 2020, despite the fact that she was off of work due to COVID, her doctor put on the, the application that she was off due to an upper respiratory tract infection, something that she had suffered from before. And and throughout the disability file, it says that her absence is related to a cough, but the cough was caused by by COVID, sorry. Uh, Now, uh, you know, this is very convoluted. I understand that completely, but here's the thing. The defense, the insurance company is arguing that her condition is excluded because she previously suffered from a, 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 essentially an upper respiratory tract infection and anxiety. So he was asking me for some, you know, uh, ideas on how to deal with this. Here's the thing. Uh, a few years back, John, you'll remember, I can't talk about this in too much detail because we actually resolved the claim really well uh, and there are confidentiality provisions, but I had a case that dealt with resp- a respiratory condition, a lung mm-hmm. injury. And and I learned so much about respirology that, I, you know, I, I think at this point I can probably do an expert's report. I can provide the, the expertise here in, in respiratory uh, uh, type of cases. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm just joking here, obviously, but I, I learned a lot about that. And here's here's one of the things that I learned. Uh, there are two types of of, um, uh, respiratory tract infections. There is upper respiratory tract infections and then there are lower respiratory tract infections. And if you Google upper respiratory tract versus lower respiratory tract, you will see that they are different. The upper respiratory tract deals with the nasal cavity, the pharynx, the larynx, etc. The lower respiratory tract uh, deals with things like the lungs. Now, why is this important? Because she had COVID. Now, here's the thing. COVID, remember, we have all these variants for COVID, right? Well, the Delta COVID variant affects the lower respiratory tract, like the lungs. In contrast, the Omicron variant affects primarily the upper respiratory tract. So it really does depend what kind of COVID she had before. If she was suffering before from upper respiratory tract infections, and now she's disabled as a result of a lower respiratory Mm -hmm. tract infection, as you can imagine, you can argue that that's a different condition. 
Now, the reason I'm bringing this up is because, again, insurance companies will try to deny you for any reason whatsoever, any reason they can. And so our job as lawyers is to be as creative as we can and as precise as we can to combat that for the benefit of our clients. So it's really important to understand that when an insurance company uh, um, denies your claim on the basis of pre-existing condition, sometimes they are correct. But in other, on other occasions, it's possible that they're confusing conditions. They're confusing uh, a, a, a certain condition that may look like the condition for which you are now disabled, but in fact, you had a different condition. No matter how small that condition is or how, how minute the differences are, there's still, there's still a difference there. There's an argument that the insurance company ought not to have denied the claim. And so my point here, not that I was expecting, John, everybody to follow this uh, you know, uh, uh, long soliloquy about respiratory tract infections, but the point is this. If you are denied on the basis of a pre-existing condition or any reason whatsoever, don't simply accept that and walk away from a potential claim you may have with your insurance company. You may still have a claim, which is why it's always a good idea to come to us and talk to us. And by the way, sometimes we've had cases where people have come to us, they've spoken to other lawyers, and the other lawyers have told them, no, the insurance company is correct, only for us to take a look, or, you know, do a really deep dive into yeah. the, 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 the facts of the case and come up with a solid argument as to why the insurance company is actually wrong. And then that results in a settlement, significant settlements in many cases, for our clients. So that's the messaging here. Do not simply walk away when you're denied a claim for long-term disability come and speak with us. Again, doesn't cost anything. And then we can look at everything and tell you what your options are. Now, Martin, you've seen, you've seen pre-existing uh, uh, condition cases before. Uh, I'm just curious what your experience has been. I've seen a bunch of them. Thanks, Ivan. And you know what? I, I must say, I, I like working with pre-existing condition cases or at least looking at them. Uh, I think a few things need to be said. Uh, number one, and you've heard me say this before, Disability claims are based on contract because the policy is a contract. Mm -hmm. So the contract, and we've luckily got this page now as well, which defines or gives you definitions for contractual terms. But the point that I'm making is with a contract, pre-existing condition is normally defined as well. So many people would think, well, because I've had depression in the past and now I've got depression again, the insurance company denied me based on a pre-existing condition, uh, they're right. No, it doesn't necessarily work that way because normally the pre-existing period that the insurance company has to look at, if there were to be a pre-existing condition concern, is a defined period of time. I can give you an example. I had a case where the person went off work within the first year of having coverage, which allowed the insurance company to see if there were a pre-existing condition, if there was a pre-existing condition in order to deny the claim. During the, that pre-existing period, which was the 90 days before having coverage, the person was seen for headaches, later on having gone off for depression. The insurance company then said, well, clearly headaches somehow relate to depression. The case should be denied. Now, when an insurance company wants to deny a claim based on a pre-existing condition, the duty to prove that it is a pre-existing condition falls on the insurance company. So they have to prove that it actually was a pre-existing condition. So the onus shifts. And simply having headaches, yes, it may be a symptom of depression, but it wasn't necessarily depression. And we resolved that case on a very favorable basis. And there's been a lot of others as well. Um, I, I would say to you, anybody listening, if you think that you've had a condition for a long period of time, you have no 
chances of winning the case, do speak with us because there definitely are ways to look at it. As Sivan says, sometimes the insurance company is correct, but many times they are not, and we can help with that. Correct or not, are they always going to jump on that if there's if they see if they see an opening for pre-existing condition are they going to they going to grab onto it? I'm sure that they will because why won't they? It, yeah. it is insurance companies like to deny cases. I'm not saying that in some cases it's not a valid denial, but if there is a, a gray area, they're going to jump on it. One eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred is the number to reach out to Martin or uh, Sivan. Remember their team anytime. Help at disabilityrights.ca is the email we go to every show. There's also the website called mydisabilityquestions.com. You can yeah, ask questions there. It's free and it's anonymous and it's searchable too. So that'll save you some time. Well, what else you got going on, Martin? Well, we've had a, a bunch of questions, so I'll, I'll read this one. Mm-hmm. Um, it is a lady who is a federal public servant, so works for the government, federal government, and she has a, a condition, Crohn's disease, um, which results in significant fatigue. And she has been on disability with the insurance company two times in the past due to the same condition, went back to work, and unfortunately had to go off again. So yeah. now she's found that she's been denied again. And she's reaching out to say, I was hoping to get some advice from you and also wondering what type of fee you charge for your service. So, and that's from a lady here in Victoria. In this case, you know, she may wonder as well whether it's a pre-existing condition, but because she's had coverage for such a long time, she's been off before, it won't be that. The question is, why has the insurance company denied this claim again? You know, there's a contractual definition. Again, you can go to the LTD FAQ page to see what these definitions are. Uh, the disability has been denied because the insurance company is taking the position she cannot perf- that she can perform the duties of her own occupation. Um, unfortunately, in cases like this, she will have, you know, hopefully the support of a doctor. And if they're denying, she should get on the phone with us, speak to us because we can assist with denials like this. Um, Crohn's disease is a recognized illness. It's not something that is invisible, as many insurance companies view cases to be. I believe that we can assist her um, because the appeal likely is not going to go anywhere. Yeah, Crohn's is, uh, I've, I have friends and, uh, you know, some family that have been through. It's absolutely brutal, it for sure. If, uh, further a little bit. Again, the email is done. You want to get into the phone numbers, we get to a quick break here and uh, and get to more. Toll free, of course, one 821 5900 That email address is help at disabilityrights.ca. And again, ltdfaq.ca is a free website you can use as well. ltdfaq.ca. Lots more of the Disability Law Show is on the way. Stand by. All right, welcome back, Disability Law Show. So good to have you on the show today. You will always learn something on the show, and if the hour is too condensed, not enough for you, that's okay. Reach out afterwards. That option's always there. Toll free to Savannah and his team, or Martin and his, respectively, 1-855-821-5900, help at disabilityrights.ca. By the way, go to disabilityrights.ca, the firm website. There's a media tab, and you can see past episodes of our TV show as well. We've been doing that for several years. Again, 30 minutes and pretty informative as well. Uh, but we've been talking, uh, Savan, this on the show today thus far about pre-existing conditions. It's um, it's a topic that's mired in, in controversy and, and, and ignorance as far as people are concerned, rightly so, because they just don't know whether it's going to be part of uh, them dealing with the insurance company or not. You have an, another uh, point you want to make about it, yeah? 
I do, I do. And you're absolutely right. And Martin was mentioning in the last segment that the insurance company, you know, if they can seize on a reason to deny your yep. claim, yep. then they'll seize on it. That's what mm-hmm. that's what they do, right? They're in the business of making money. One of the ways to make money is to find a way to deny your claim. And then, you know, it's not just in the context of uh, long-term disability. Let me tell you about a little story I had a few years back with a travel insurance claim. I had this lady contact me, elderly lady. Uh, she was in New York. This is pre-COVID. She was in New York. She had travel insurance. Uh, she fell on a, on a sidewalk. Uh, I don't remember what happened, but she fell and, and she, she suffered a, a pretty bad fracture to her shoulder. Uh, and she went to the hospital. You can imagine, and this is the US, right? So the medical costs were significant, uh, yeah. a lot of money. And so she put in a claim through her travel insurance provider only to be denied once they took a look at her family doctor's records. Why? Because when she got the insurance, they asked her if she was on any medications for various conditions, including cholesterol. Cholesterol, John, nothing to do with the, with the break nope. here to her shoulder, but she was on medication. But, he, but here's the thing that's interesting here. She was on medication for, for cholesterol, so this lady was on, on medication, cholesterol medication. So here's the thing. Uh, so she she had when she got the insurance, she said, "No, I, I'm I'm not I'm not uh, uh, on any any medications for for those conditions, including for high cholesterol." Now, uh, she was actually on medication. I forgot the medication itself, but it's medication to deal with cholesterol. And of course, the insurance company comes back and says, "Well, you know, you you you, you lied. Uh, you know, you're you're on medication to treat cholesterol." And that's what the question asked you, and you answered in the negative. And and so she didn't know what to do about that. So what did I do? I contacted her family doctor. And what did I find out? I found out that the medication was not to treat her cholesterol, meaning that she did not have high cholesterol. There's a difference between getting medication to treat a condition and to prevent a condition. Yep. I know some people will say, well, you're a lawyer. This is what you're arguing. You know, it's not. It's really the same thing. She's getting medication. No, it's not the same thing. And my point here is this. By the way, when I wrote this with the help of the doctor to the insurance company, they immediately paid uh, for all her <laughs> medical expenses. Okay, so so they, they agreed with me that I'm correct. And, and here's why I was correct here in my argument. And this is my broader point to the audience. When an insurance company has an obligation to pay you under a policy and you've proved that you should be getting paid. Okay, so let's say in the context of long-term disability, you've proved that you are disabled from working, and they now want to rely on an exclusion. Our courts in Canada have said time and time again that for the insurance company to be able to rely on an exclusion, not to pay under a policy, that exclusion must be extremely well-worded, meaning it has to be precise. And, and the insurance company, their argument, it must fit in really nicely within that exclusion. They can't just interpret that exclusion broadly and just say, yeah, we think that this exclusion applies to your situation. It may not precisely apply, but it applies nonetheless. And therefore, we're relying on it to, to not pay you. They can't do that. If they are relying on an exclusion, that exclusion must be very narrowly worded. And the facts of the case must fit precisely within that exclusion or... Or if this ever goes to court, a judge will not agree with the insurance company. They'll force them to pay. And that's what happened with that case. We didn't go to court. The insurance company just backed off. And yes. so my point is about pre-existing condition is that you may be denied your claim on the basis of pre-existing exclusion, a pre-existing condition, uh, but it doesn't mean that the insurance company is correct. And that's where we come in. 
That's our job. Our job is to look at these things very critically and to figure out if we have an argument to force the insurance company to pay you. We're not doing any magic here, okay? If, if we are able to force the insurance company to pay you, it's not because somehow we did something wrong. It's because we applied the law precisely the way the law was intended. And that's what we're telling people out there. Do not simply take whatever the insurance company uh, is telling you if they're denying your claim at face value. One eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred to reach out if this piques your interest. Or you've uh, heard a similar story. Don't hesitate to reach out to Savan or Martin or their uh, respective teams for sure. Yeah, I mean it's always good just to make the phone call anyway, just to just to get your bearings right. Whether you have a you know what you think is going to be a deep and troublesome case, but something like that, most people would walk away from figuring, yeah, okay, I guess they're right. I'm wrong. I, I'm not going to continue with this, which would have been the wrong wrong move anyway, right? Yeah, and it's a move, John, that people need to understand can cost them a lot of money, and it's money sure. that's owed to you. I'm not mm-hmm. talking about a few grand. I'm talking, in some cases, tens, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars that could be going to your pocket legally, and the insurance company says no, and they're pocketing that. Now, if you don't mind, I want to move on here. There is actually a question that was posted on MyDisabilityQuestions.com that it deals exactly with this issue. Yep. So this comes from Randy, and Randy writes the following. He says, I've been disabled for four years now. I'm receiving LTD. Before my disability, I suffered from a pre-existing condition, uh, mental health illness. Uh, I did not miss any time off work for this condition. However, my LTD insurance company is now asking me if I'm taking medications because of that past illness. I'm assuming they're planning on trying to reduce or take away my LTD because I have had a pre-existing condition. My LTD at present is not an issue for mental mental health. They're asking me strange questions about a very old pre-existing condition. So this is fascinating for a variety of reasons. And again, I'll answer it. And then, I'll, you know, Martin, you can do some cleanup and give us your <laughs> thoughts on anything that I miss. So this is the first thing, that we, you know, the, the reason why, why it's fascinating is because this person has been on LTD for four years. Now, people here, John, on the show, listeners have heard us talk before about what does it take to be on LTD uh, with general LTD policies for the first two years and then beyond two years. For the first two years, under most LTD policies, to get long-term disability payments, you have to demonstrate, with the help of your doctors, that you cannot perform the essential tasks of your own occupation. Beyond the two-year mark, the test changes. It becomes more difficult to meet, arguably. Now you have to prove that you cannot perform the essential tasks of any occupation for which you are suited for by training, education, or experience. Uh, so it's a broader test. It's, it's more difficult to meet. It's not just your own occupation. It's any occupation for which you're suited for. This person has been on LTD for four years. It's interesting to me that the insurance company is now starting to look at his file, medical file. I mean, you'd think that they would have done at the beginning and trying to ask questions that, as, as he appears to indicate, leads him to believe that they're trying to feel around whether or not they can stop his benefits on the basis of a pre-existing condition, even though even though he's saying that his LTD currently has nothing to do with mental health, which was his pre-existing condition. So one of the things we don't know here is whether or not the insurance company is in fact looking for that or not. But here are my general thoughts. The fact that he's been on LTD for four years is going to make it extremely difficult for the LTD insurer now to reverse course to somehow come up with an excuse to cut off his benefits. That said, it doesn't mean they're not gonna try. So so for people out there, even if you're beyond the two-year mark, Martin, I'm sure you've seen this too, the insurance company is gonna continue looking for ways to stop paying you. The fact that they've, you've surpassed that two-year mark, that bright line, doesn't mean that they're going to 
you know, pay you until age 65 or until whenever the, the policy ends. They're going to continue trying to figure out how they can cut you off. It's just the reality of this. It's unfortunate. I think it's wrong, but that's what they do. So that's the number one thing that I would tell Randy here, that if the insurance company tries to cut him off for any reason after putting him on LTD for four years and paying him for four years, to me, there's going to be a very, very high bar for them to argue that somehow he doesn't qualify for LTD. I mean, one of the, the ways I can see them doing that is if he's not engaged in treatments, for example. And then they can say, you know, you have this obligation to continue getting treatments. If you've stopped, we're not going to pay you. But barring that or other, you know, very rare types of reasons, I can't see them being able to rely on a pre-existing condition. The other thing that is interesting to me is that if his pre-existing issue is mental health, but that's not the reason why he's off on LTD now, then frankly, it's irrelevant whether he had the mental health issue before he went on LTD, if what's disabling now is not the mental health issue. So again, we don't know the insurance company's side here, but this is an example of another person, this time not somebody who's just denied LTD just out of the gate uh, for a pre-existing condition, but somebody who's on LTD now for four years. And, and is seeing now the insurance company doing things, asking questions, looking at his files, almost like they're trying to find something, some reason mm. to say to him, we're going to cut you off. So you got to be on guard for this. And again, this is why it's important for people to contact us, because then we can help them. We can figure out how to thwart the insurance company's uh, efforts here and also advise people what to do, what they should uh, you know, be watchful for, and, and just generally what their rights are. Martin, I don't know if you have any any thoughts on this, but this is a very interesting situation, in my view. It is a very interesting situation. I find it very strange that um, Randy has been on claim for four years in the any occupation phase, and now they're looking at that. It doesn't make sense to me. Um, maybe there's more context to this. Um, he's also asking whether they could maybe reduce his benefit. That's not normally how that works. If it is a pre-existing condition, they simply don't pay you. And again, if that were to happen, then you have a discussion with us. You also raised an interesting point. If the person is in the any occupation phase, many people would expect that their claim would be just be continuously paid. I've had a discussion with somebody yesterday about this. I've had clients who had been on claim for 10 years, thinking that everything was running smoothly. A new case manager gets appointed on the claim, is very eager, and then takes a different course with the claim and then denies it on uh, grounds that you wouldn't be expecting. So as you say, Sivan, it's, un it's an unfortunate reality. Do not expect that just because you've been approved into the in occupation phase that you'll continue to be, be paid. Quick break, guys. Got to get into it. Back with more. In the meantime, you can send along your questions. If we don't get to it this show, the guys will answer it afterwards or in a future show for sure. How do you do it? Email help at disabilityrights.ca and the website mydisabilityquestions.com. Absolutely free and anonymous as well. Or you pick up the old-fashioned phone. It's always good. 1-855-821-5900. We'll continue. Disability Law Show continues. Hang on. Hey, welcome back, Disability Law Show. If you're tuning in every week, we really appreciate the next step for you or for someone you know who's dealing, battling with an insurance company, been asked to appeal or otherwise been cut off, is that phone number, that phone call to have a conversation. Start the relief path right there, one 821 5900 help at disabilityrights.ca and the website mydisabilityquestions.com. That's free and anonymous, a place to do exactly that. Ask your questions for Savannah or 
Dr. Martin or the respective teams, and they will cover every angle. That and ltdfaq.ca. Really easy, simple to navigate. It's like Lego. It's memos about LTD, ltdfaq.ca. Want to get to a, uh, a question here. Again, mydisabilityquestions.com is where it comes from. Our pal uh, Oscar in Calgary writes in, says, I was told by my insurance that they will only cover me for two years of long-term disability. What happens after the two years? I can't return to work because of my illness. And what are my rights when it comes to me not being able to go back to work ever because of my disability? Thank you, says Oscar. Thanks, Oscar. Thanks for sending in that question. So a few things to be said. The policy is what details and determines how many years of benefits would be paid. Mm -hmm. For the vast majority of policies, benefits are payable to the age of 65 if the person remains totally disabled within the meaning of the policy. So the question that Oscar is asking, saying that his insurance company has told them that they will only cover him for two years. I think we just have to be clear about this. We should be looking at the wording of that policy. Quite often people would think, and they have I've spoken to many people who have said this to me, uh, I just have two years of coverage, when they in fact don't. As Sivan had said earlier, they, what happens generally after the two-year mark of receiving long-term disability benefits, the definition changes. What that means is for the first two years, you had to prove that you're unable to perform the essential duties of your own occupation. At the end of those two years, the definition to still receive benefits changes to that of any occupation. And that means something for which you've got the transferable skills and that you could do now within your restrictions and limitations because of your medical condition. It doesn't mean that your benefits just end or that your coverage ends. It means that you have to prove ongoing disability entitlement based on the fact that you cannot work in any commensurate occupation. Another job you could do based on your skill sets. So it's very important to be able to look at the policy to see if it is that situation. It very likely will be that there is some miscommunication here or misunderstanding. Having said that, there are some policies that will provide that there are only two years of benefits that are covered, but they are in really the minority. The most ones, especially if it is a group policy, will provide that it will be payable to the age of 65. So what Oscar should be doing is contacting us and let us have a look at what the policy says. Does it provide for benefits to the age of 65? And we're simply speaking about a change of definition period. And by the way, the change of definition likely we will have defined in the LTD FAQ page as well with the definitions. But do not assume or accept that benefits simply will end at the two-year mark because the insurance company says to you that benefits will be only payable for those two years. Uh, what you do is you contact us, we will review the policy and discuss your options with you. Sivan, over to you if you've got anything else to add. Uh, you know what, you've said it exactly right. And by the way, just this last week, I had somebody actually contact me um, out of Calgary. Uh, it wasn't Oscar, it was somebody else, exactly with that kind of a question. And I asked that person to send me the policy and the policy was a standard policy to age 65. That person was 42 years old. And, and you know, Martin, I don't know how much of it is attributable to miscommunication. It, it, I, I'm sure that some of it is. I don't, I don't want to you know, imply or even state explicitly that adjusters are on purpose 
all around trying to mislead people. I don't think that's true. I do think there are some who do try to do that. I have seen that. Um, and I've seen correspondence that can't lead me to any other conclusion. But for the most part, what I think is happening is that there is a miscommunication. The adjuster is focusing on those two years in the context of own occupation. And the individual is simply taking whatever the adjuster is saying at face value and only hearing, I'm going to get paid for two years. And in that case that I'm mentioning, when I spoke to this person uh, who sent me the policy, it was clear that it was TH65. And, and and that's fine. I clarified that and the person was able to, to then proceed accordingly. My point is that it goes back to what we always say. Don't simply take what the insurance company says at face value. If they're telling you, for example, that your policy is a two-year policy, you're only getting paid for two years, ask your adjuster to show you where in the policy it states that. Now, I have seen policies that state that, but those are very rare. Just like it's rare to see a policy that goes beyond age 65. They exist as well. But the standard policies, especially group policies, are to age 65. The ones that are very time limited explicitly states that they're for two years or five years or however long the thing is, uh, you know, the the duration is. So do not take it at face value. And to Martin's point, it always comes back to the contract. It's not what the insurance company says. It's what the contract says. It's what the policy says. So very, very important to understand because, John, I can only imagine there are so many people out there who have simply walked away from so much money that is legitimately owed to them because they're simply unaware of what their rights are under their own insurance policy. You know, this comes up so often. I've spoken to so many people who have said to me, well, it's only two years. Or, well, it's at the, they're now saying I could go work in any job. How do I, how do I fight that? Um, It isn't literally any job. It is something in which you can do based on what I've said before, your transferable skills. So if it is something that you are making $200,000 a year, the insurance company cannot say to you now, well, because it's any occupation, go work at a job that pays you $40,000 a year. It simply doesn't work like that. So don't be discouraged when an insurance company says to you, if it were to be the case, because there's now a change of definition, that we're denying your claim and you give up because you think they're right. They're not right. Have a discussion with us because we will definitely be able to assist you. Guys, short break. So many more emails and questions to get through, but uh, we'll do that in the last segment, which is coming up. So stand by for that. In the meantime, the number toll free, one 821 5900 We always use the email help at disabilityrights.ca or very popular, and that would be mydisabilityquestions.com. More of that coming up on the Disability Law Show. All right, still some time to go on the Disability Law Show. Reaching out afterward is simple. Martin Willems covering the West End in uh, Vancouver. You'll want to reach out to Martin or Savan Tamarkin here, co-founding partner, Sanfiru Tamarkin, LLP. That is one 855 The phone number, email, help at disabilityrights.ca. And then mydisabilityquestions.com is another great avenue for you to uh, to ask questions. I think you want to get to, uh, to Larry's uh, question. Larry says, when my doctor filled out the medical information for CPP disability, he put down that my prognosis is good and checked off box 6 to 12 months and that I will be able to return to a normal job. As a result, my CPP disability application was denied. I'm currently off for a mental disability. It is unknown as to whether I will get better to return to work in 6 to 12 months. This is my doctor speculating. I'm going to be reaching the two-year mark by the end of the year, which means the definition of disability changes from doing my work to doing any work. 
As I gave consent to the insurance company to contact CPP, can the insurance company use my doctor's info in the CPP application to cut off my disability payments in 6 to 12 months based on the CPP application? Or do they have to rely on direct updates from my doctor in 6 to 12 months to indicate if I'm able to go back to work? Oh boy! Uh, yeah. So is, there's a lot there, Larry, and, and several things are are you know really uh, standing out for me. Uh, number one, the fact that your doctor um, filled out the medical information for CPP and said that your prognosis is good and thinks that in six to twelve months you'll be able to return to a normal job, and you are saying that this is your doctor speculating, only highlights how important it is for individuals out there to speak with their treatment providers or doctors about these kinds of forms because you're right Larry what was put on the CPP application could impact the LTD mm -hmm. application especially since your doctor probably has copies of this of these these notes these applications the information he put down in his own file and so irrespective of whether the insurance company or LTD insurer uh, goes to CPP and gets the file directly from them and looks and finds mm -hmm. that note from your doctor, it's possible that they'll get it anyways from your own doctor. So I think that it's, it's again, really important for you to speak with your doctor. Now, sometimes, sometimes doctors put down, um, you know, uh, the, the information they want to put down, but not necessarily in the most specific way or the, more, or the most accurate way. I'll, I'll give an example. Uh, your doctor here, Larry, says that he believes in six to 12 months you'd be able to return to a normal job. I is that what the doctor means? Or does the doctor mean that in six to 12 months, he or, or she believes that uh, you may be able to try a return to work program? Those are two very different things. By the way, on our, on our website, ltdfaq.ca, there is a memo about doctor's reports. And we talk specifically about the verbiage that's required here. Doctors need to be very careful. Now, I'm not blaming the doctor here. Maybe the doctor does believe that Larry can go back to work within six or 12 months. It is interesting to me though that, I mean, Larry's off work now for what's going to be soon, uh, you know, the two year mark uh, and, and, you know, for, for mental health issues. I guess my question is, does Larry, is Larry seeing, uh, you know, a, a mental health uh, provider, a psychologist or a psychiatrist? If so, what are these individuals opinions with respect to his ability to go back to work in, in terms of prognosis. So, so it's really important, again, to have that discussion with your doctor before your doctor fills out any of these forms because the insurance company, or in this case, CPP Disability, they are going to seize on the words of your doctors. And, and in, the, in the case of insurance companies, oftentimes cherry pick information and specific words and phrases that your doctor puts down to help them make the case that they should not be paying you anything. Uh, now, the other point I wanted to make here is that I, I don't recommend, this is my personal advice, uh, I don't recommend people to just give insurance companies complete and unfeathered access to, to their CPP application or file. You know, LTD insurers, John, often ask people to sign uh, a, a, uh, an authorization direction allowing them to communicate with CPP directly uh, to get any information they want. I think that's too much information for the insurance company. And I think this here really showcases how, how dangerous that can be when the insurance company, uh, company can now go to CPP and get all your medical uh, uh, records and, and, and documents. So you have to be very, very careful. But to me, something here you know, is very, very strange. It's very, very strange to me that Larry has been off work for a mental health condition and that he and his doctor are not on the same page in terms of prognosis. And that, 
again, I suspect can lead to a problem with his LTD uh, going beyond the two-year mark. Martin, what do you think, pal? I agree with Sivan. Uh, there is a concern here with the doctor having indicated that the prognosis is good, that there may be a return to work in 6 to 12 months. You know, when doctors complete forms, and that may be what happened here, maybe the doctor just had an opportunity to check a box without actually having an opportunity to give more information. And there's also sometimes this friction between doctors wanting to be optimistic when they speak to their clients, but the reality may be different. He's using the words return to a normal job. I don't know what that means. You should have a discussion with this doctor as to what he actually meant and if that's actually what he said. Like Sivan says, you know, there needs to, he and the doctor probably will need to be on the same page, and maybe they are. And there's just this disconnect between what the form indicates and what the doctor's actual opinion would be. But normally you would expect if there had been a person, if a person is off work for that period of time, it's a mental health illness, that they would gradually ease back into the workplace to avoid some form of a relapse. And it may be that he cannot go back to what he was doing before and try and do just a, a, a part-time type position. Um, that is, as Ivan says, is something you should discuss with his doctor because uh, we always say you need your doctor's support with respect to these cases, with respect to CPP as well, and with respect to your LTD case. So have a discussion with your doctor. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, normal jobs, Savannah, that Martin makes a good point. I mean, coal miner and bus driver, very normal jobs, <laughs> very different, right? Yeah. You're completely right. Martin is completely right on this. Uh, I think there's just a lot of ambiguity here all around. Oh. But I do share Larry's concern that I think his insurer may very well have some you know, substance here. They, they may seize on certain words and phrases or, or whatever box was ticked by the doctor indicating that Larry is able to go back to work potentially in six to 12 months as an excuse, as a reason in their mind to cut him off. And I think there are ways to mitigate this. I think that what Larry needs to do right now, first of all, what I would say is the advice is speak with with his doctor, make sure that they're on the same page. Was it really a a mistake by the doctor to put this down? Does the doctor believe truly that he's going to be able to return back to his own occupation or or any occupation for which he's suited for within six to 12 months? Because if if the reality is that he doesn't believe that, you know, or or that it's not exactly the case, in other words, he can do something, but not necessarily an occupation for which he's suited for, Number one, he could potentially try and appeal that CPP disability application denial. That's number one. Uh, And number two, he could potentially then use whatever that other report is that the doctor generates to give the insurance company to show the insurance company that, no, he's actually not saying that in six or 12 months he'll be able to go back to his occupation or any occupation for which he's suited for. But again, everything starts, I think, in this case from a discussion between Larry and his doctor. And Larry, I would say this to you. If after that discussion, you and your doctor are not seeing eye to eye, give us a call. We can talk about your options. If you feel that your doctor is wrong about your prognosis or if you think it's premature to provide that prognosis. Okay, that's that's another thing, John. Who has a crystal ball? Who knows yeah. if in six or 12 months, Larry will be actually ready to go back to work. So again, a, a lot of questions here. Larry's concerned and I can see why he's concerned. Give us a call, as Martin says. Uh, it's true. It doesn't cost anything to speak with us. We will give you your, your, your options. We'll review your documentation. We'll make sure that you know all you know, the, the, the choices in front of you. And, and at that point, you'll have, you know, you'll have the knowledge 
and, and, and you'll understand what your options are. And then you'll be able to make a proper and informed decision on how to proceed. But without that, you're flying blind. That is it for another show. Fantastic work, guys. You want to reach out to Savan or Martin and their teams. Here's how you do it before we fly. one 821 5900 help at disabilityrights.ca or mydisabilityquestions.com. And for more information and memos on LTD, ltdfaq.ca. And we'll catch you next time on the Disability Law Show. The proceeding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW.